Okay, this is learning module 7, learns de-escalation communication techniques. This is the second section. And we're going to begin, if you're following along the slides, on slide 49. We just ended talking about sarcasm. So we'll start on slide number 49. So let's talk about the response patterns. I call it AFDA, attack, fear, defend, attack. So those will be what we call the response patterns. And here's how this process typically works. An employee and a consumer become involved in a, dis a dispute over needs, wants, or expectations. The consumer says or does something that the employee interprets as a personal and or physical attack. They feel vulnerable or fearful and then they respond defensively. The employee says or does something to reduce feelings of vulnerability. The consumer responds in a positive way, and the interaction remains productive and safe. However, it may go a different way. Or the employee attempts to reduce feelings of vulnerability, and it doesn't work. It fails. This failure creates low-level cognitive and physiological changes within manageable ranges, such as increases in adrenaline, heartbeat, blood pressure changes, which activates mental processes that initially sharpen senses, and training schemas are retrieved. The training schemas are retrieved from memory, and the employee applies the appropriate or proper conflict management strategy. The consumer behavior de-escalates, the employee's vulnerabilities reduce, and it remains productive and safe. Or the employee's attempt to reduce feelings of vulnerability doesn't work, this time, the failure creates high levels of cognitive and physiological changes that are less than they're less manageable and or not manageable, and it results in greater increases in adrenaline, in heartbeat, blood pressure, and mental processes now degrade and attempts to retrieve these training schemas from memory, they fail. And then the employee says or does something outside of training and policy, and the consumer behavior escalates, and the employee's vulnerabilities spike, and then the interaction becomes super risky. These are some very, very basic defense response patterns, or I call them AFDA patterns. The pathway to violence, the pathway to violence. As each successive attempt to reduce vulnerabilities fails, the greater the physiological and cognitive changes. So every single time we attempt to reduce our own fears or vulnerabilities during this defense process or these, these defense patterns, then the greater the physiological and cognitive changes. They just keep stepping up each time we try and it fails, we try and it fails. And it elevates stress, and if it makes it to acute levels, then it's very difficult to think um, think within your training and also make good critical decisions. And this is, of course, the most critical junction juncture in a conflicted employee-consumer interaction because this kind of escalation could lead to very risky behavior and, and some may even interpret this as justification to resort to violence. So sometimes as we interact with people, our behavior is actually helping them justify their violent responses. And again, I'm not saying it's causing it, because these are psychological, emotional processes, and there's really nothing that we can do other than physically attack a person that would justify them acting defensive, or in this case, acting very violent. But during these processes, 
if we are triggered and then we respond in a very emotional uh, way or become emotionally unstable, it does kind of give um, some leeway or permission to uh, violent individuals to then justify uh, becoming violent with us. When employees become overwhelmed, I call it battle-weary, by their inability to bring the interaction under control and it feels like they've lost the battle, a fight-flight-or-freeze response is often activated. A fight response could be an employee yelling profanities or physically assaulting a consumer. A flight response could be uh, a, a flight response could be an employee simply walking away from the consumer and totally disengaging, or being silent and not being able to physically move could be a freeze response. Unfortunately, these responses can lead to customer service complaints or employ consumer injuries and could seriously impact an organization's reputation and their ability to remain financially viable. So as professional security officers or PSO certified officers, we're peacekeepers and we should be peacekeepers. A key to keeping interpersonal employee consumer workplace conflict from escalating to violence is twofold. One, employees should be trained to process passive-aggressive consumer behaviors, including how to process their own emotional triggers. Secondly, when customer service personnel reach their cognitive, communicative, and emotional or physiological or psychological limits, they need to transfer that responsibility to others, and in a lot of cases, that would be us as security officers. So security personnel should be involved if conflict continues to escalate and the consumer's behavior has the potential to cause harm. Either the individual who's dealing with that kind of behavior should call for help, or if we observe it, we should intervene. Okay, let's talk now about the LEARNS de-escalation communication technique. And again, there are six steps. Those are listen, explain, ask, respond, negotiate, and settle. I know that many organizations have different, uh, different types of de-escalation communication techniques and different ways that employees are taught. And so this is um, an, a very useful and effective series uh, to take in, within these techniques. So in an attempt to de-escalate behavior and emotional instability, uh, the keys are listen, explain, ask, respond, negotiate, and settle, and that's an acronym for LEARNS. So it should be easy to remember, L-E-A-R-N-S. So let's talk about step one. The reason I started with L, with listen, is because I've noticed again over my uh, time as a communications professor and also being involved in the security business for uh, 40 years, I've noticed that uh, listening is often one of the communication errors that we're all kind of guilty of. We don't listen. And especially when we're called to a conflicted interaction, it, sometimes we think listening may create some type of uh, potential risk. And if it does, then fine. But oftentimes, it, listening is a way to quickly find out all of the different components of the conflict interaction that helps you rather quickly get to that place where you can manage it well and or resolve it. So we start the process with a focus on listening. And the truth is, many security officers are just not good listeners. And uh, many other people aren't good listeners. But in regards to vocations, in regards to professions, 
as an individual who desires to become a certified professional security officer, listening is going to be one of the keys to your success. So competent communicators are good listeners. That's just truth. Poor listening is often a response to being impatient and rushing and pushing things. And so be aware that poor listening could often be a response to just being impatient. Try not to ever make the interaction a time-sensitive one if it is possible. I know in some cases we have no choice because someone is being harmed and we need to act and we do the best we can under those conditions. But try not to make it a time-sensitive interaction where you're forced to have to go fast-forward or super speed. When possible and if it's safe, take the time to get to know the person. What's happening? Tell me what your needs are, what are your expectations, where have we failed you, how can we help you? To try to understand the person even when they are um, responding maybe with a a volume, a high volume or maybe very animated. People in crisis often do get animated rather easily and it's up to us to listen and then help them to help themselves. So active listening is really the key to creating a temporary uh, or temporal relation base that's necessary for influence behavior uh, using active listening, dialoguing, productive responses, accommodation, compromises, negotiating. When individuals feel heard, they're much more likely to respond positively and cooperate. Security officers must be able to initiate conversations with consumers to create a positive startup and develop rapport to maintain productive and influential conversations. Active listening. Dialoguing. Being a good listener involves dialoguing. Dialoguing is the casual, informal, but professional banter that's developed between the security officer and individuals when they discuss ways to solve a problem. So you are dialoguing ultimately with the goal of solving a problem. Security officers who can quickly develop credibility and trust with resistant at least initially resistant individuals, are much more likely to reduce interpersonal tension and keep conflict from escalating, reducing the need to use physical force. Rapport. You should develop rapport with everyone that you come into contact with, but especially people who are uh, a bit animated or in crisis mode or becoming emotionally unstable. Security officers should introduce themselves by their name and the job responsibility and then use good customer service-oriented icebreakers to initiate productive interactions. Customer service statements that take responsibility for inadequate service or poorly, or poorly performing products or apologizing for an employee's behavior, coupled with ego-boosting comments, will help you establish goodwill with individuals. And rapport and goodwill are very important. Let's talk about counterproductive responses. When processing workplace conflicts, security officers often say and do things that are counterproductive and interfere with their interpersonal goals and exacerbate interpersonal tensions and escalate unsafe behaviors, creating what we call a negative startup. When dealing with difficult customers, it's natural for various unhelpful thoughts to run through one's mind. However, if spoken, spoken aloud, they would be counterproductive and certainly increase interpersonal uh, tension. Okay, so that was the L for listen and learns. Now let's talk about step two, which is the E for explain. So once the security officer makes contact with the individual, explain the reason for the contact. 
whether you were dispatched or personally observed certain behavior, describe how the individual's behavior contradicts the organization's code of conduct, their policies, the law, or even basic safety protocols. So typically when we interact with people, it normally is in response to some violation of the code of conduct. Every organization says these are the behaviors that are acceptable, these are the ones that are not. Now all, some of those are not violations of law, they're just the way the organization desires people interact. And those are in policies. So they could be policy violations that have to do with relationships, or they could be the individuals acting in a way that is unsafe, very basic safety protocols, and or the behavior could be a violation of the law. Not necessarily meaning that we want them prosecuted, but it is clearly, clearly a violation of law. So it may be useful to appeal to authorities, use personal appeals, or refer to an organization's mission statement, posted signs, or specific laws to help motivate the resistant individual to adjust their behavior. So this comes under the advisory function of the SAP um, um, deployment mode that um, you'll find in greater detail in, in my book, The Violence-Free Workplace. Again, most of the learning modules are based upon uh, my book, or at least the ideas taken from the book, The Violence-Free Workplace. So in this case, you um, would be advising the individual to adjust their behavior to uh, meet the code of conduct for the organization. So that would be the E, or explain, under the second step. So the third step is to ask the subject for cooperation to change and modify their behavior to come in uh, to make sure that that behavior meets the organization's standards basically to come in compliance with the organization's code of conduct. Security officers should not ask an individual to change their behavior before completing the first two steps. Listen and explain, unless there's an exigency that you have to jump right to step number three, or in this case, the letter A, ask for cooperation. This is a really important uh, thing, uh, an area to consider. Oftentimes, we, we skip right to the ask, and we don't uh, listen and we don't really explain why we are interacting with the individual. We just go right for the ask and we say, hey, you, stop this or start that or move this or move that or do this or do that. And in some cases, it may work and it may be fine and it may work out, but here's the problem. Uh, there's a good possibility that the person will then become resistant at that point. And maybe the reason that they became resistant is because they didn't have a sense that they were listened to and they didn't have a chance to explain themselves. So I know in most cases this may uh, seem uh, counter uh, to your, your um, ideas about solving a problem, but if you can, do the best you can to first listen, then explain, and then ask for cooperation. If the individual refuses to change their behavior, ask for justification. As an example, why won't you do X? This is an important sometimes overlooked step. The answer may help you choose the best path to resolving or managing that conflict. Most subject interactions will end at this stage. That's just true. Unless you work in a really you know, high-stress, high-conflict environment, these are kind of passive-aggressive behaviors or even behaviors that the individual is not even aware that they're violating. And so when you intervene and when you advise them, they will make a change to their behavior to meet the organization's standards, and that will be the end of it. However... If the subject is still resistant, you do need to move on to step uh, four. You need to transition. 
So security officers need to be careful as long as they, as they continue to interact with a subject that has initially refused cooperation. Most people will just cooperate after you listen and explain. And so if the person becomes resistant once you, once you listen to them and explain and then you ask them and they become uncooperative or they, they just won't make that, those behavioral adjustments, be really careful uh, at this point and moving through the next steps because at any point, individual's behavior can quickly escalate. Um, and so we have to be very aware of that because when a person just resists a simple request to modify their behavior, that, that idea that they would resist that then can create some type, of, um, some type of motivation within them that they may be hiding something else that we don't know about them or the situation. So be very careful. Okay, so step four. So we have listen. So we have the L for uh, listen. We have the E for explain. We have the A for ask. And then the R for respond, which is step four. So respond by reiterating the, sub, uh, the individual's behavior that contradicts the organization's code of conduct, policy, basic product safety protocols of the law. Explain the contradiction in the circumstances between behavior and policy. Point out the signs, written policies, justifications for requiring the person to cooperate with you. Explain the available options the security officer may employ and the corresponding outcomes for individuals who fail to correct their behavior. Present both positive and negative outcomes for each available option and always start with positive. So, request framing. This is an important concept or idea. Request framing. So when you request a change of behavior, how should you best frame it to get the best results from the individual? We'll talk about options and outcomes. When discussing possible outcomes for failing to cooperate, security officers should always start by framing, framing them in the affirmative. Let me give you a few examples. If you move your car, it won't be towed. Okay, so if you move your car, that's very cooperative behavior, and it won't be towed, that's a positive outcome. So we'll talk about behavior and outcome. Now think about that in a negative. If you don't move it, you'll leave me no choice but to have your car towed. So you can see how, how that's framed is in the negative versus the positive. Now here would be a positive way if somebody refused to leave a campus. If you leave the campus now, I won't need to involve the police. So if you leave the campus now, that's identifying very cooperative behavior, positive behavior, and then I won't have to involve the police, which is a positive outcome. So do the best you can to, to frame these requests for behavior change using positive framing with options and outcomes. Now here's a negative way. Again, scenario, person won't leave the campus. You say, hey, if you don't leave the campus now, I'll have no choice but to call the cops. So you could see how if we juxtapose these two scenarios, one where a person parks a car where they shouldn't, and two when somebody refuses to leave the campus, you could see if you start with identifying cooperative behavior and then positive outcomes, start with cooperative behavior and responses, then positive outcomes, you can frame the same request in a way that gives a great that provides a greater opportunity for the individual to cooperate with you and in a sense still feel like they're saving face or not, not losing total control. So those are two examples. So very, very important request framing. When you request someone to change their behavior, always start with a very positive, their positive behavior, what it looks like, and the positive outcome. So again, let me go over these one more time. Two examples. 
One, someone is parked where they shouldn't. Two, someone is on the campus and they shouldn't be there. So for the first one, cars park where it shouldn't. So here's how you'll frame it. If you move your car, it won't be towed. So moving your car is cooperative behavior and not being towed is a positive outcome. Now here we'll go with the campus example about someone refusing to leave the campus. If you leave the campus now, I won't need to involve the police. So leaving the campus now is cooperative behavior and there's a positive outcome, I don't call the police. Again, this is a very important concept that I really want, want you all to understand because some of these are areas where these then end up creating or exacerbating the interaction or creating tension where tension, where tension should not be created. Again, if you want an extended outcome, let's just say you're trying all that. I'll give you an example. Again, we'll go back to a car that, that's you know, parked where it shouldn't, right? So you could say, look, if you move your vehicle, it won't be towed. You could say... If it's not towed, you won't have to worry about coming, you know, getting a ride home or coming back to pick it up. You won't have to worry about those inconveniences. You could also say you won't have to pay the $300, you know, uh, tow yard fee to get it out of the tow yard. You can also say you won't be embarrassed by the increased attention here, tow truck arriving, police, staff, peers, people just, you know, gawking at us. And, you know, these are ways that you can kind of extend these options and outcomes in an attempt, again, to get the individual's attention, okay? So these are some ways that you can then extend those outcomes and still frame these ideas in a very positive way. Okay, we're gonna move on to now the N in learns, which is step five, which is negotiate. The ability to negotiate with uncooperative individuals may be a security officer's most important personal attribute. Negotiation allows an uncooperative individual to feel like they have some degree of power and influence over their behavior and the outcome, which reduces the possibility that the individual escalate their behavior to get their way. Negotiation involves accommodation, compromising with passive-aggressive individuals to find a beneficial solution to workplace conflict. Negotiation is a give-and-take process that takes place between two or more parties, each with their own aims, needs, and viewpoints, seeking to discover common ground and reach an agreement to settle a matter, a matter of mutual concern or a conflict. Negotiation is a give-and-take process. We have win-win, we have lose-lose situations when we negotiate. Ultimately, we, we want to find the one that's closest to win-win and always ask for cooperation even when negotiating. Time, speed, and efficiency. Don't be in a hurry. In most cases, you don't need to rush. Now again, if there's exigent circumstances, I get it. But compare and contrast a hostage, hostage negotiator to um, a security officer trying to get someone to either leave the campus that shouldn't be on campus or to move a car that's parked in a place it shouldn't. And what does a hostage, hostage negotiator have? They may have, you know, hours. They may have many, many hours to negotiate uh, with someone who's uh, holding a hostage. But we still use the same type of techniques and philosophies in an attempt to create motivation within the individual to cooperate. Using authoritative presence and verbal assertiveness. If an individual refuses to cooperate after step four, under the respond section, security officers should become more authoritative and assertive in their verbal communication in an attempt to influence the behavior. Let's talk about tone of voice or emotional control. When negotiating, a security officer's tone of voice can, can communicate control of weakness. It's important for security officers to maintain emotional control of the tone of their voice. 
especially as an individual's behavior starts to escalate. The verbal, character, verbal characteristics of a message or the tone of voice play an important role in what the listeners hear. How it's understood and how they respond to it. The verbal characteristics of the tone of voice include pace, modulation, pitch, and volume. Pace is the speed at which one speaks. Modulation is the rhythm of one's spoken word. Pitch, how high or low one's voice sounds. Volume, how soft or loud one speaks. Let's talk about influence uh, and your appearance. Public perception, perceptions, public perceptions of effectiveness are often based on appearance. Let me say that again. Public perceptions of effectiveness or security officer effectiveness are often based on appearance. A security officer's appearance plays an important role in creating authoritative presence and influence for processing interpersonal tension because perceptions of effectiveness play an important role in establishing credibility and trust with another person. Although a security officer's look or how they are perceived is obviously not verbal communication, it does play an important role in how verbal communication is interpreted. Being perceived as professional could be a deterrent to some uncooperative or potentially assaultive individuals. Potentially uncooperative individuals will often size up or test a security officer's ability to professionally perform based solely on how they're perceived. Okay, let's talk about uh, the S in learns, the last step, step six, which is settle. Negotiated settlements help keep behaviors from escalating to direct aggressiveness and help, help resistant individuals save face, reducing the need to involve other stakeholders. After negotiating with a resistant individual, security officers need to finalize a course of action. Settlements may or may not include the, the other party's agreement. A settlement may even mean that, a, that security officers submit to the will of the uncooperative subject, as long as it doesn't increase harm or, or, it, or, the, or it escalates behaviors. It may require that security officers assert their limited influence and take decisive protective action without consulting the individual. Security officers should try to verbally confirm the individual's choices, repeat the corresponding outcomes, and give the individual plenty of opportunities to cooperate if a reasonable settlement can't be agreed to prior to taking physical action. Power struggles. While attempting to manage passive-aggressive behaviors and de-escalate attentions, a security officer should never get into a push-pull debate with uncooperative individuals. Power struggles can create unsafe conditions for security officers and others in proximity to the conflict. Additionally, security officers should never communicate ultimatums or, or, or else statements to individuals they're not able to legally, ethically, or practically follow through on. Prior to intervening, security officers need to be sure that they're acting within their departmental policy, have requisite legal authority, and have the physical ability to force an uncooperative individual to comply with their demand to change their behaviors. Settlements. A tentative, a tacit, or actual agreement this step is where the subjects lack of cooperation or their cooperation will be detailed. This is the final opportunity for the subject to demonstrate cooperation. So ask them, is there anything else I can say or do to convince you to cooperate by starting or stopping X, whatever that behavior is? If yes, use their response to find a solution. If no, you have to move on to the action stage. When communication fails, what's next? Try not to act unilaterally if you can. Get other officers, other people involved. It's very important to engage them. Okay, that is the second section, and there will be three sections here in Learning Module 5. 
So let's take a pause and then we'll come back with the third and final section of this learning module.